0: We want to uh, remind you that this is, uh, we've branded this year the year of community, so we're talking a lot about community this year. I want to highlight for you that one of the ways that we, if not the central way that we as a church create community and sustain community as we, is as we consider God's Word. And so from the beginning of thinking through how to make this year um, help us more connect together, we've been talking about how can we use God's Word as a centerpiece for what connects us which is why, if you remember back that handout we gave you when we first launched it, there was a Bible reading plan that went in conjunction with the sermon series. So as Steve and I have been thinking about that um, and trying to figure out how can we try something else that will try to even engage more people into community as we all read the Bible together. So what we've done is we've added a new page to our website. So they're going to start putting images of our website up on the screen. That's our homepage. So when you visit our homepage, northkatechurch.com, you'll see a new button now. It's to the, your right of the, the buttons that says plan your visit, watch a service, and now it says year of community. If you click on that button that says year of community, it brings up a new page on our website um, that takes you to a blog. So It's sort of a blog space um, that's like uh, early 2000s uh, websites, remember that? They're still around. Um, it's just a space where we can um, have a conversation on our website about God's Word. And so this week's sermon is I Am the Bread of Life. And so what we've done is we've put up a, a posting there that summarizes our sermon. And you could actually go back to the other slide. They're slightly out of order. Yep, they're all out of order. It doesn't matter. Um, just, it doesn't matter. I'm going to stop looking at the screens and you should stop looking at the screens too. Um, The point is this, if you go to northgatechurch.com, you click the buttons, you follow the links, it'll take you to a space where you can read uh, a summary statement of the sermon, a summary of some various Bible passages that are available for you to read, and some instructions on how you could journal as you read the Bible. And then there's a comment section at the bottom. And so that's where you can post what you've read and then people can like it or comment on it and post in, in response to it. And so uh, it's just a new experiment we're doing. If it creates some, maybe some online community, maybe for people that worship from home, it gives them an opportunity to be involved in a conversation they can't otherwise do. Um, but there's a space there. So if you want to read along with the Bible reading that's in conjunction with the sermon you hear today, go to our website, read along, take notes, and share what you've read. If you say to yourself, don't want to do it, hate computers. That's cool. In the foyer, uh, our gift to everyone today is a journal. Uh, We normally give them out to our first-time guests, but everyone can have one today, and you can use it to take notes on and read along with the scripture that supports the sermon from this morning. Now, you might say, well, where do I get that scripture? How do I know what to follow along with? And that's where I'm looking for my volunteers Do such people exist right now in the crowd? Oh my goodness, they're standing up all around us. They're going to be passing out a card that looks like this. Everyone in the room gets one. As they're coming to you with your great anticipation for what you're about to receive, I will begin to explain it to you. It'll make more sense once you have one in your hand. But what you have in your hand is a unique little handout. It shows you uh, on the front side a series of scriptures that you can read throughout the week, and you can check when you've read them. Uh, it's called our Community Connect card. It's something we just invented, a Community Connect card. It also has on the front of it a Bible verse. So if you want to memorize a Bible verse and that's directly related to the sermon that you hear this morning, you have the opportunity to do that. If you flip the handout over, you'll see on the left side it says, My Contact Info. That's for you to write down your name and for you to write down your phone number. And then from there, uh, I'm going to move to the right side. On the right side is a sermon takeaway, where you can write down something that you heard this morning that you thought was interesting or meaningful. And then below it, it gives you some instructions on if you wanted to journal, if you wanted to post on our website, if you want to write in this journal, some simple instructions to give you a framework for how to write after you've read some of the Bible. After I finish my sermon this morning, or at any point in the next 30 minutes, here's what you can do. Are you ready? This is the trick. You can... These are meant to be torn in half. And here's what we want to do. We want you to connect in community with other people in our church around the reading of the Bible. So what we're asking you to do is where you've put your name and you've put your phone number, we're asking you to to prayerfully take a step of boldness and approach someone after the service today or at some point this week and ask them if they wouldn't mind exchanging cards with you. So I see Pat in the foyer and I say, Pat, I was great this morning with the worship and I really loved what the, the the pastor said about how we could use this to connect in community and I've never done this before it feels kind of weird but do you want to like read this and I could call you maybe on Friday or Saturday we could talk about what we read sure okay I mean I've never done this before It feel but we'll try yeah, yeah why not try okay. I'll call you on Friday at three o'clock all right sounds good So that's, that's the awkward Matt way of doing it. I'm sure like when Chris and Casey exchange cards, it will go much better. If you're like, I I can't do it. Maybe you could do it with your spouse. Maybe that's the the baby step. And then the the single woman laughs. (laughs) Um, Um, it's an experiment. Let's see if we can't use God's Word to provoke conversations. And as we provoke conversations amongst one another around God's Word, we're hoping that maybe some deeper levels of community will come. I also like it because I have an 11-year-old son who loves trading cards. So every week, there's going to be a different look to the card. So this is, I am the bread of life. Next week's card will be, I am the light of the world. And then on and on as we go through the I am statements. So if you can return to church after Easter with all seven trading cards, with seven different names listed on it, because you exchanged it seven times, you will win. (laughs) You will win the game. All right? I'm going to put you in the drawing to win a a 12-passenger van parked in the parking lot that it's rusting out. (laughs) That's a joke. That's a joke. I mean, the van is in bad shape, but I'm not giving it away to you. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us um, connect in community. Lord, if this tool can be helpful, Lord, um, it would bring us joy. But more than anything, Lord, we want to um, just sit at your feet and learn from you, to read your word, to listen to your voice. And Lord, we, we want to share that with one another to help one another grow in our faith. We pray that some of that can happen right now, Lord, as we look at your word, as we seek to understand it and apply it to our lives. We pray for our our friends and children as they gather to do the same in their classes throughout the building. We pray for those who are at home and would love to be here but just aren't able to. Lord, we pray that in this time that lies before us, you'd open our eyes to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I am the bread of life, so let's talk a little bit about hunger hunger. How long can you live without eating? I feel like this is a good intro because Lent started on Wednesday. Some people choose not to eat uh, something during Lent, so we're thinking about not eating. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness before he started his ministry, didn't he, for 40 days. So how long can one go without eating? Well, I have a answer for that. His name is Angus Barbary. He holds the record Although the Guinness Book of World Records, interestingly, will not track longest run without eating because it's too dangerous. However, back in the 60s, Angus Barbary uh, set the record for not eating. He went, uh, uh, he lost 276 pounds. He went from 456 pounds to 180 pounds. His fast went for 382 days. A day... A year and 17 days, 1965 to 1966. Now, it was under medical supervision. It says, during this time, Barbary consumed only water, vitamins, electrolytes, and occasionally non-caloric fluids like tea and coffee. It's extraordinary. Now, he spent most of the time at his home, apparently, making regular visits to the hospital for checkups, so don't try this at home. Um, The doctors kept an eye on him. They say because he wasn't eating solid foods... You can't believe everything you read, but reportedly, he only needed to go to the bathroom once every 40 to 50 days. That doesn't sound right, but he managed to keep the weight off. At the time of his death in 1990, he'd only gained 16 pounds back, extraordinary. So he went for over a year with basically just fluids and electrolytes. I can't imagine living with hunger for that long, right? Like to live with that nagging hunger pains for over a year would drive you insane. Um, When I eat a late lunch, like I'm in a bad mood. Sometimes I'll push through lunch and come home for dinner, and my family can probably spot it. They may not know how to name it, but it's like, dad came home grumpy. I wonder why. Well, I just decided to skip lunch today, so I'm just in a bad mood. So using hunger as sort of an opening metaphor to tie directly into Jesus' metaphor for us this morning, he says, I am the bread of life. So I think what Jesus is giving us is this timeless metaphor that we're about to read. And he's connecting us from, you know, we we live with physical hunger and we feed ourselves. But what Jesus is trying to help us see and what we're going to look at in the coming minutes is that we also live with spiritual hunger. And what are we doing to satisfy the spiritual hunger? And I think, you know, being like physically hangry, right? Irritable, upset, impatient. It's probably very similar symptoms to being spiritually hangry. If you choose not to digest any of the bread of life, you might just have similar symptoms in your life that you're noticing. And it could be that you are spiritually starving yourself to death whenever Jesus has presented himself. As the bread of life, there are certain metaphors and certain ideas and concepts that transcend time. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. Sometimes you pick up the Bible and you try to read it, and sometimes you even try to read Jesus, and you say, like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's too complicated. I just don't understand the Bible. It's too hard to understand. And I can relate to that and be empathetic to it. But there are certain sections of the Bible. There are certain sentences that Jesus gives us that are just timeless. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, that is a simple and timeless metaphor that can hope, help, hopefully help us understand who Jesus is and how he wants to meet us in the midst of our hunger. So it's the first of seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. The ones that are yet to come are, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine, and I am the resurrection and the life. And we'll come to Resurrection in the Life on Easter Sunday morning. But for a society that we live in that is a little bit interested in who Jesus is, it should give you some uh, conversation starters in your family and in your workplace. People can say whatever they want to about Jesus, but Jesus pretty simply and in very basic down-to-earth language defined who he is for us to talk about with our friends and family. So this morning, I am the bread. It comes to us in John chapter 6. Um, We're going to jump in sort of partially through John chapter 6, so it's going to catch you up. At the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000, so maybe that's a story that that you're familiar with, but the crowds have gathered all around him, and they're hungry, and Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, and he breaks the loaves and the fish, and he spreads it out to the crowd of of over 5,000 people, and at the end of him feeding all of those people, there's still 12 baskets of food left over. After that miracle, Jesus then departs from the crowds and he and his disciples end up on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, the crowds realize the next day, they say, where is Jesus? We're hungry. And they go across the sea as well and they find Jesus. And that's where we're going to begin reading in chapter 6, verse 25. They found Jesus, the hungry crowds. And they says in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. The crowd is like, Jesus, don't do that. Don't slip away in the middle of the night. We're hungry people. And Jesus is like, oh, you're just... You're just out for another free meal. You're just hungry, right? Like the God of the universe is standing in front of you and can, can give you anything you want. And you say like, I really like to satisfy my hunger because I last ate 12 hours ago. And Jesus is just like, how extraordinarily short-sighted can you be? How can you be so focused on temporary things? But it just goes to show that it is, some things are timeless and that is that people show up where they see free food you know there's nothing as happy as whenever I am at Sam's Club and I realize like, oh, it's Saturday and it's lunchtime. There's free food all through this store. And then you just walk the the loop. We love free food. I love free food. It is very motivating. It always has been. But Jesus is saying you're hungry for the wrong things. In verse 27, he says, "'Do not work for the food that perishes, "'but for the food that endures to eternal life.'" which, by the way, is also free. It's also a free gift. The Son of Man will give it to you. So what we need to see in these opening verses is that the bread of life is for those who are hungry. So we're focusing first on this hunger, the hunger that the crowd has. And and we can ask ourselves the question, am I hungry? What am I hungry for? Why have you come to Jesus? why did you come here this morning why are you here what are you seeking are you seeking perishable food or are you seeking eternal food so what's perishable food if we're going to establish this metaphor that jesus is using what is perishable food i think it's it's our physical appetites it's temporary things it's material things did you come here because for health for wealth For success, for happiness, for these temporary things that are changing from week to week, from year to year, perishable things that don't last. Is that why you came to church today for a free meal or or you're going to pray for a new car or a new job or a new feeling or an emotional high or whatever it is that you came to church this morning seeking Jesus this morning because deep down when you walked in the doors, you were hungry for something that's perishable, that's temporary. Or did you come to Jesus this morning seeking eternal food? What's eternal food? Well, Jesus is going to make that explicitly clear in a few verses. We'll give away the punchline now as he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the eternal food. As some of you may have learned, I am a Bruce Springsteen fan, and he taught us this back in the 80s. Everybody has a hungry heart. I didn't sing it. I listen to your feedback. (laughs) I listen. I think everyone is spiritually hungry. I think all of us have a hungry heart. We're all spiritually hungry. I think the three things that stand out to the most of the appetites that we are spiritually hungry for is for identity and belonging and purpose. We want to know, who am I? We're hungry to know, who am I? And without hunger, the... We, as well as the rest of the people in our society, are trying to define our identity. Do you look to your heritage? Do you look to your parents? Do you look to your career? Do you look to your hobbies? How are you going to define who you are? Where are you going to find your identity? We're hungry to know where we belong. We are desperate for community. Someone emailed me this morning a report that just came out that says Pittsburgh is the eighth loneliest city in America. We are desperate for community. We're hungry for it. And so we look for it in in clubs, in gyms, in families, in schools, in bars, in sporting arenas. We're trying to figure out where do I belong because we're hungry to know where we belong because we were created for community and we're hungry for purpose. Why am I here? Fundamentally, why did God put me on this earth? I don't understand the point of my life. And so we look to our careers to try and find purpose, or to our families, or to our paychecks, or our bank accounts, trying to find, why am I here? Where do I belong? Who am I? We are spiritually hungry people. I listened to a Matt Damon clip of an interview. So Matt Damon's this Hollywood actor, right? He broke onto the scene With Goodwill Hunting, he wins an Oscar at the age of 27. I saw him interviewed recently in this clip. They said, talk to us about getting an Oscar at 27. Like breaking into the industry and and just year one, then you get your Oscar. Matt Damon says he remembers that night. He remembers not being able to sleep. And it's like 3 in the morning and he's looking at his Oscar. And he's realizing It doesn't fill him up at all. He says, I realized I I still felt empty. He went on to explain to the interviewer and say like, I am so grateful I got that Oscar at 27. Because I can't imagine if I worked my whole life and I got an Oscar at 80, and then I realized at 80 that this will not fill up that hole inside of me. Do you know how like rocked and depressed and discouraged I would be that I spent my whole life thinking this would fill the hole in me? Now I don't know how that story ends. I don't know what Matt Damon has found to fill the the void in himself. But what he's saying is true. And Jesus can satisfy our hunger like nothing else can. So why are you seeking Jesus? What are you hungry for? Is it something that's temporary? Or is it something that is eternal? So that's the hunger. Next, we'll look at the giver. So as you read on, it says in verse 28, Then they, this is the crowds, they say to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Well, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So the crowd is saying, like, what do we got to do to get some food around here? And Jesus is saying, what? What? you got to believe in me. And then they have the audacity to say, like, what can you do? To which, if I'm Jesus, I'm just, like, pulling my hair out at this point. I'm like, I just fed you. Like, right? I just turned five loaves and, and two fish and fed thousands of people. And you have the audacity to say to me, what can I do? Like, you're here because you're hungry, because you just ate the miracle that I performed. It's just, it just blows your mind, the patience of Jesus that he has with the crowd, But he does highlight for them and say, like, listen, Moses didn't feed you in the wilderness manna from heaven. My Father in heaven sent the manna down. It is God who is the giver. It is not Moses who gave you bread in the wilderness. So the point is this. God the Father is the giver of bread. James chapter 1, verse 17 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Every good gift that we have is a gift from the Father. They wanted to say, well, no, no, Moses gave us that gift. Jesus says, no, Moses didn't give you that gift. God gave it to you. We do the same thing. We just put it in different categories, right? That car you drive, that home you live in, where did those things come from? Did they come from your, like, your hard work? They come from your paycheck. They came from your bank account. Or is every good and perfect gift come down from God the Father? The success that you have at work, where did that come from? Your your hard work, your determination, your ingenious ideas, your investment in long hours of work. Or was it a gift from God? That you have the mind that was able to come up with the ingenious idea. That you had the health to be able to go into work. Is everything dependent upon God the Father and the good gifts that he gives us? Or do we misattribute these things? He meets our needs every day. That's one of the values of, of praying the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You think about that in connection to the truth that jesus said that says i am the bread then every day we live our lives in this dependency that god is the giver and everything i experience today is a gift that comes down from god and so i pray to him every day give me today my daily bread give me today what i need and he gives it he doesn't sell it he gives it he, you don't earn it he gives it the crowd said to him what must we do To be doing the works of God. And Jesus says, listen, this is the work of God. And you need to hear this too. Because you're going to think here in in 17 minutes, what do I need to do now? Listen to the words of God. Listen to Jesus. He says, you want to do the works of God? Here's the works of God. Believe. Believe in the one who sent me. You're real eager to know what you can go and do. Jesus says, here's what you can do. You can believe. That's the work of God. Believe in him Who he has and whom he has sent, whom the Father has sent. This is the power of the gospel. This is what separates Christianity from every other world religion and every other tradition that is out there. All other religions are set up this way I obey God in order to get his favor. The gospel, the good news of Christianity says, No, you do not obey God to get his favor. That is not how it works. The gospel says, No, God gives me his favor as a free gift, it's a free gift. You don't earn it, you don't buy it, I simply receive it. And that fills me with such gratitude that I'm eager to obey him out of gratitude for how extraordinarily generous he's been to me. You know what that does then? It produces humility in you. But then you're no longer a self-righteous, arrogant person who's proud about all the things that they have done, all the accomplishments that they have earned, and you become a person who is just extraordinarily humble and pointing everything back to God and all of the things that he has done in your life to put you in the position that you're in, and then you're a humble person, and people really like to be around humble people, and if people really like to be around you, then all of a sudden you have an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ. It is just this beautiful way that God has put together our faith that differentiates it from every other faith. But it's fundamentally founded on the fact that Jesus, that God, is the giver. Once you get that, you will be liberated, set free from the bondage of religious fear and shame and duty. And your relationship with God will go to new heights and new depths. If this can sink in, it's the power of the gospel. We're hungry, we're seeking Jesus, and Jesus points us to God the Father who is the giver and gives us good gifts. So now we're ready to talk about the gift. Verse 35, Jesus says to them, "'I am the bread of life. "'Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, "'and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. "'But I said to you that you have seen me "'and yet do not believe.'" All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing and all of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him will never hunger. That's the promise that Jesus gives us. So if you're hungry, and I think we all are, we come to Jesus and he satisfies us. He fills us up. He gives us identity. He gives us purpose. He gives us belonging. Everyone who believes in him has eternal life. I want to pause for just a minute on this life. So to work out this metaphor, Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. So we're hungry. Like, so the physical metaphor helps us understand the spiritual metaphor. If you're physically hungry, what do you have to do to sustain your life? You have to eat and you have to drink. So Jesus is saying, if you want to sustain life, then you have to eat and drink me. And so if you are feeling spiritually hungry, then you might want to look at your diet. You might want to look at your intake of God. God through his word, through the gathered church, through the music that you listen to, through the things you read. Like, all of these things, right? How much are you out in his general revelation in nature? Like, put it all together and realize if you're spiritually hungry, there could be a reason. It's because you're not eating any of the bread. He gives you life. If you don't feel like you're having a fulfilling life, then you ought to look at your spiritual diet. But beyond that, he says in here, in verse 40, he says, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And... I will raise him up on the last day. That's an interesting sentence. Because when we think about eternal life, we think about heaven. We're going to, eternal life is to live forever. But Jesus says, well, I'll give you eternal life and I'll raise you up on the last day. He says in, in a couple more verses we'll get to, he says, whoever believes has eternal life. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, your eternal life has already started. They begin to think, well, maybe I'm misunderstanding eternal life. What is eternal life? Well, later in John's gospel, in chapter 17, he explains it very clearly. He says, this is eternal life. He's, he's praying to God the Father, and Jesus is praying, and he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Your eternal life starts once you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, And if you want to know what eternal life is, then you just need to seek to know God, the Father, and know His Son, and you will have the experience of it now. And He will raise you up. Your spirit will live on into eternity. And there will come a day when Jesus returns, and He will rise up your body, whether it's in a coffin or whether it's ashes spread around the world. Miraculously, He will gather it all up, and He will raise you up with Him in the last day. And your spirit will be reunited with your body. And that is His promise to you. That is the life that he gives us. And I think we're all hungry, and I think certainly people are hungry for life. They want a life that fills them up now, and they'd like a life that gives them some promise for what happens after they die. And Jesus is telling us, I'll give you both. I'll sustain your life now. I'll give you eternal life now, and I will also raise you up in the last days. Now, how will you respond to this offer of bread? Well, here's how the Jews responded. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They're saying like, no, no, you were born. You didn't come down from heaven. And Jesus answered them and says, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father draws them. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they all... Will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, here's what's about to happen. Jesus is interpreting the situation. He's realizing oh, they're just not tracking, and they're just hungry. They're saying, like, does does he want us to eat him? Jesus is like, oh, they're so foolish. They're so focused on the temporary. So you know what he does? He just leans into it. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So you read those and you're like, yikes, whoa, this is a weird religion that I'm a part of. I didn't even realize it. Like it sounds super uncomfortable. But the point is, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Jesus isn't calling anyone to eat of him. He's just talking to a group of hungry people that are resisting his clear statements. And he's saying, like, fine, you know what? I'm gonna thin out the crowd right now. Let me lean into this metaphor. Eating is believing, and Jesus is the bread. Is Jesus a loaf of bread as he stands there? No, he's not. Oh, he's using a metaphor. So then when he says, you must eat me, eating is believing. He's saying, you must take me into yourself. You must trust in me. You must believe me. So in the metaphor, Jesus is not a loaf of bread, and nor should you take a bite of him, and nor should you drink his blood. It's just a metaphor It only gets weird when you slip out of the metaphor. You want to live, eat the bread. That means if you want to live, believe in Jesus. The crowds were seeking Jesus for temporary things. They just weren't listening. And Jesus knows their hearts, and so he shakes them up and he thins out the crowd. But I think the most important thing we need to consider is what are you going to do with Jesus? Here he is. He's the bread. You're going to admire the bread? You you, You put the bread on a shelf? you look at the bread every day you bake a shrine to the bread sometimes you hold the bread maybe you put the bread in your pocket as like a good luck charm and you rub the bread whenever you need some good luck in life or do you eat the bread you gotta eat it years ago during covid my wife and i fell into uh, this uh, rut of watching this show called alone which is they drop you off in the middle of the wilderness alone with a camera, and you film yourself until you starve to death, and then they take you out. That's a basic summary of the show. Um, and so you watch these episodes, you get to know the characters, and little by little they check out, they push the button, and they get pulled out. Once you get to, like, the last week, you have people, you're just watching people starve to death. Once a week, though, the producers come in, they check on the people's health, and they evaluate them, and there's this one season in which it gets down to, like, these last two guys, and this one guy... The health team shows up and they're like, you're done, I'm sorry. Like, you're literally going to kill yourself. We're ending the show and you're leaving. Meanwhile, the cameras go into his, his hut and he has so much food. He's caught all this fish. He's dried it. It's all hanging in his shack. And he was just saving it because he thought he could just last longer. But he was starving himself. I think a lot of people think they're Christians because they have Jesus Maybe they have a Bible in their house. Maybe they have him on their shelf. Maybe they have a shrine to him. Maybe they admire him. Maybe they respect him. Maybe he aligns with their politics. And they think they're Christians. But have they eaten the bread of life? Have they truly believed? Have you truly believed? We always say it like this. Have you, it's as simple as ABC. Have you admitted your sinfulness. Have you believed that Jesus is the bread of life who died on the cross and rose from the dead and you're trusting in him to pay the punishment for your sins? Admit, believe, and then the C is is choose. You got to make a choice. What are you going to do? Are you going to believe? And that's what happens in the text next, the choice. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no hope at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were that did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Life is a series of choices, and God gives us free will. He has from day one, and we got to make choices. And Jesus has lots of hard sayings. Jesus talks more about hell than he talks about heaven. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Jesus tells us to do good to people that hurt us. Jesus has lots of hard sayings. The question is, will we eat? Will we make a choice? to trust in Jesus and follow him. And you say, well, this is a hard saying. Can I listen to it? Will I turn back or continue to walk with Jesus in spite of this hard saying? And Peter's answer is so good. He says, where else can we go? What's implied in Peter's answer is like, I may not always understand your words of life, I may not always like the taste of the words of life. I may not always obey the words of life, and I'm not perfect. In fact, I'm a mess, and I need grace, but I believe. Peter is just like you and I. He struggles with obedience. Not long after he says this, he is going to deny Jesus three times and abandon Jesus in his greatest hour of need. So the 12 stay with him, and he confesses his faith, and he says, I made a choice, and I'm standing by that choice. And then not long after that, he, he does run, but he comes back. So the point isn't that we always get it right. The point isn't that we always make the right choice because we don't. But we do look, and we try to say, like, but fundamentally, after I return from going astray, I come back to it, and I settle into my soul, and I'm like, no, I... For all my sinfulness, for all my selfishness, this is what I believe. Where else am I going to go? I think it's a great question for you or for your friends who are struggling, who are struggling to see if they can believe in Christianity. They're struggling with, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know if I can live with this idea of hell. Uh, Jesus calls us to a really narrow road. He says a lot of things that don't fit in society today. I'm not sure I I can follow Jesus anymore. I think the great question to ask is like, okay, where are you gonna go? To who else are you gonna go? Are you gonna go to the, to the secular humanists, the evolutionary materialist that tells you that you're just random chance, you're the product of random chance and there's no purpose to anything? Are you gonna go to Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism? Okay, well then where are you gonna find grace? And let's talk about the historical evidence. Let's talk about the archeological evidence. Let's talk about the logic Let's look at those things together. You say, no, no, I'm I'm not going to any of those. I I have sort of found my own path. And I have some pieces from this and pieces from this. I I found my own path. To which I would like to say to you, but I never would unless I am standing up here in a safe space. How extraordinarily arrogant is that? That you think you've figured out a new path that nobody else in the whole world has figured out, and that's actually the one that leads to life? Or, let's take a look at Jesus. Let's take a look at the historicity of the man. Let's take a look at the archaeological evidence. Let's consider the logic. Let's look at how all of his teachings have transformed the world over the last 2,000 years. Let's look at this compelling story of Jesus about how he was with God at the creation of the world and created us in his image, but how we used our free will to rebel against him. But even in the midst of our fall, Jesus promised that he would come and save us and be our redeemer. And as we read through scripture and we see him come and pay the penalty for our sins, we have salvation in him and still the promise to reign with him one day in heaven. Let's consider the the beautiful story of Jesus together. And I hope and pray that we would all agree with Peter and say, I don't know where else I would go. You have the words of eternal life and I've made a choice. And my choice is I'm with you. I don't want to turn that way. But I made a choice. I'm with you. I don't like that part, but I'm with you. We're going to make a choice. We're hungry. The Father has sent us bread. Will we eat? The choice is ours. We opened with the story of the guy who went over a year without eating. just want to make sure that none of us are taking that challenge, Right? None of us are are considering, like, I wonder how long I could go without spiritually eating. That'd be foolish. But I wonder if sometimes we all get too busy that we don't eat. We should pay attention to our hunger. We should pay attention to what it is that we're hungering for. And then trust in the promise that Jesus made to us. That he is the bread of life. And all who come to him will not hunger. And so this week, the encouragement is for us to eat and for us to eat together. And then share your favorite parts of the meal. What tasted good? What didn't taste good? And make that phone call and let's eat together this week the the bread of life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending us Jesus. We thank you that you are the giver of good things. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would trust in you, that we would each make that choice. And then this week is full of choices, Lord. Help us to make the right ones. Lord, I pray that each one of us as we go would, would have a dedication to your word, to eating the word this week, that it might sustain our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.